As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, America's favourite podcast about soccer that's called the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey and today myself and the gang are going to talk about the latest transfer news ahead of that old European restart. Who is that gang, you ask? Well, we have a man who's fully registered to the Total Soccer Show squad, so no tearfield press conferences will be necessary for Taylor Rockwell. Uh, let's hope not. I would like to avoid any tear-filled press conferences for as long as humanly possible. Certainly none of those today, at least for me. We'll see how it goes for Joe and Ryan and Graham. Yeah, it's a, it, it, we've got time. We've certainly got time. But we'll get into what that was referring to very shortly. Right after we've introduced a man who has a loan option to buy his way into our podcasting affections, Joe Lowry. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Okay, I'm not even kidding. So Jordan Angel and I just recorded MLS Assist before this. And uh, I led the show with a loan option to buy joke because we were on TSS so much during the Olympics. Ryan, you're stealing my material and I can't have it. I know, Joe. I'd be watching you <laughs> through a camera. I know everything you do. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. I was wondering what that camera was. Yeah, <laughs> There we go. And finally now, gang, we have our star man who just ended his loan spell to watching the Olympics day and night. And he's just signed a four-year deal with trying to get some sleep. Graham Ruffin. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. There certainly will be no tears at this press conference from me. If uh, there were no tears at the birth of my daughter or at my <laughs> wedding, you're oh not going to get gosh. tears out of me on this, uh, on this podcast. So... so- if if it's not too personal, Greg, what would bring you to tears? What would it be? Um, what so life event? <laughs> I did uh, have a little sob when Andy Murray won uh, the US Open. That's maybe the only time. Sport sometimes does bring me to tears, but 
Um, nothing that actually like matters in life. No. Oh, bless. I found that very emotional, and then it, I sort of couldn't help but chuckle. There was a moment where he couldn't find the sponsored watch he had to wear. I seem to remember, <laughs> and he was fumbling around for about ten yeah. minutes before the presentation. That was, he, uh, and he's not great at celebrations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well, that was the thing that brought me to tears. Yeah, <laughs> you can't find his watch. Concern for his uh, endorsement deals. Someone think of Tag Heuer at this point. Come on, guys. Um, Graham, I have to say, you almost brought me to tears this very day when I read your Twitter. Uh, oh, I no, quote, I knew this would, brought, this would yeah, be brought up. You knew I was going to bring it up. Uh, quote, Graham Rutherford, will football Twitter cancel me if I admit to not really liking Ted Lasso? Yes. Wow. Yes, it will. It's just too sickly sweet. It's too sickly sweet. There's too many emotions banding around that show for me. Sorry, I mean, football Twitter. Is it too? Are the colours too bright? Are they? Are they? Is the English too legible for you? What is it? It just doesn't do it for me. But I feel like, in true Ted Lasso fashion, Ted Lasso wouldn't cancel me for disliking Ted Lasso. Graham, so. Graham prefers the constant stream of dread that comes with Sunderland till I die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, pre- I prefer my shows like Sunderland till I die, Handmaid's Tale, that sort of thing. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Graham, what is what is your like lighthearted, hey, I could use like some good mood view- mood viewing. Is it just like coverage of politics? Is it like funeral processions? What is it that like sort of does get you going in the mornings when you need that extra push? Uh like the first twenty minutes of up. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. That's outstanding work by Graham Ruthman. Well, um, we should get on with the podcast because we've got to let Graham get back to watching Natural Disasters on YouTube for the rest of the evening, which I presume is what he's going to do. Um, so why don't we talk about a disaster of sorts for Barcelona? Uh, Lionel Messi, you may have heard, uh, allegedly not going back to Barcelona. Graham, uh, as our league, uh, a La Liga expert, I should say, um, fill us in on what happened here and how much we should be ticking off those Barcelona accountants. <laughs> yeah, well, the, it was it all happened very quickly, didn't it? Um, up until Thursday last week, the the news out of Barcelona of the Spanish press that was that uh, it was that Messi was going to return to Spain. He'd been on holiday, I think, in Ibiza, and he was going to return to Barcelona on Thursday, and he was going to sign the contract the contract with Barcelona that he had verbally agreed a number of weeks ago before he went off to the Copa America with Argentina, which obviously Argentina won. However, it seems like if we're, if we're led to believe the reports and what Messi says and what Juan, Juan Laporta says, it seems like on Thursday Messi was informed as with the rest of us that Barcelona couldn't register Lionel Messi, even if he played for free, which technically would be against uh, Spanish employment law anyway. But basically, Laporta was saying that Barcelona's uh, wages to revenue r- ratio is 115% with Messi on the books, which it's not good, <laughs> but without Messi, it's still only 95%, um, which is also not good. And La Liga has a new salary cap. I'm calling it a salary cap just for um, simplicity. It's not actually a salary cap. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But basically, Barcelona needed to get that down to 70%. And so there was just no way that they could sign Messi to a new contract. Messi was informed of this on Thursday. At first, it seemed like... A bit of a power play from Barcelona. There is another issue at hand here, which is this private equity deal with CVC. Um, Barcelona and Real Madrid are against it, largely because it restricts them from revisiting their Super League 
plans and obviously that is not good news for Barcelona and Real Madrid so at first it seemed like a power play to strong arm La Liga into changing their salary cap uh, demands and also changing the CVC deal but it became quickly apparent that that was not the case and indeed Lionel Messi will not play for Barcelona and it seems like he's off to PSG now. It does indeed. And this uh, this salary cap we're talking about, it's effectively, as you mentioned, a wage-to-revenue ratio. So it's kind of La Liga's FFP, is it not? Um, what I don't quite understand is, um, even without Messi's wages, as you say, if it's at 95% and it's supposed to be under 70%, how did it get to this point? And how are people like Sergio Aguero and, and Memphis Depay and all these guys showing up and still being registered? That's the bit that doesn't quite compute. Maybe I haven't done enough research, Graham. Have you done that research? Um, I have done that research. I don't think there's a lot of answers out there. Um, I think that is still to come out of how that how Barcelona ever thought they were going to sign Barcelona uh, Messi to a, a new contract. I think maybe it was the case that they, they thought La Liga would change something for them, that something would come along. I mean, when I first read that this CVC private equity deal was in the offing, I thought, oh, well, that's that's Barcelona got the Messi money. I actually thought that was their salvation to sign Messi. And I think that Barcelona were hoping there was going to be some sort of salvation. Real Madrid had been speaking to Saudi Arabia for certain uh, equity deals and sponsorship deals. And I I had an an assumption that Barcelona were looking at similar things to keep Messi, but that salvation seemingly just just never came. And there is this little wrinkle that Memphis Depay, Sergio Aguero, um, and who else have they signed? Eric Garcia are not actually registered with La Liga yet. So <laughs> that that's an unanswered question. How are Barcelona going to register those players? The, the start of the, the season is this weekend. And yeah, there's still a lot of interest on the Barcelona side. Obvi- obviously, the, the story has moved over now to Messi signing for PSG, as seems to be the case. But keep an eye on what's happening at Barcelona still, because there's still a story there. Yeah, and Ryan, I think your confusion is is like fair because of the way they've been announcing these players and they've been doing the usual like here's them signing a contract here's them putting on a jersey and holding the jersey but as as far as i understand those players still are not registered with the league and likely won't be able to be for at least a little bit of time while they figure this out so i think though barcelona are publicly acting as though all of those players are good to go and ready for the season i don't believe that that is the case and i'm not quite sure how it will be yeah, very confusing. And Depay even played in a friendly against Juventus over the weekend as well. So if he's still not registered, uh, well, obviously he's, it's fine for a friendly, but uh, very interesting times ahead. Maybe Barcelona and a few other clubs should just get together and start their own league if they don't like these rules. Frankly, I think that would be the best <laughs> course of action. But uh, it does, as you say, Graham, look like he's going to PSG. He may have already done so by the time you lis- you're listening to this, dear listener. Uh, I've read that Marca says that Barcelona have filed a complaint with the European Court of Appeals saying that PSG's FFP ratio is worse than theirs, which is some <laughs> brilliant whataboutism from, uh, from Barcelona there. We are massively breaking the rules, but hey, they kind oh. of are too. That teacher, oh. I'm telling. Um, Joe, what do you think of Messi at PSG? I mean, Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, is that going to be our front three? I know, um, uh, I think Poch in the opening game against Troyes played a 4-4-2. And we had uh, Gigi Wijnaldum out wide in that one. Where does Messi fit? And uh, I- I'm assuming we're going to accommodate him here. Oh, I-, I think you should certainly do your best if you're Mauricio Pochettino. I, I think the most obvious tactical approach for PSG is to have Messi on the right, which is a role that he has played very, very well, to put it lightly, for Barcelona in the past. You put Neymar on the left and you put Mbappe as that nine. I don't necessarily think that Mbappe's 
best position is the nine. I think he's probably better in a front two or, or shaded off the left slightly. And and that's fine. You don't really need to accommodate Mbappe fully. You can just run that front three out in a 4-3-3 most likely and say go to town on at least two-thirds of Ligue 1. I do think we'll see some tinkering when it comes to Champions League time, which is the most important time for this PSG team. They will be labeled as complete and utter failures if they do not win the Champions League, which is somewhat fair. This is an incredibly talented group, and it was talented even before Messi is now assumed to be joining their club. So when it comes time for Champions League, I, I do think we could see some tinkering from Pochettino. Maybe we see a 4-4-2 with Neymar on the left and Di Maria on the right. I mean, you can do so many different things. You have Icardi as well, and then you have a lot of midfield talent. You have Wijnaldum, and you have Verratti, and you have Paredes, and you have Adjusagana. I mean, there's so much here. It's going to require an incredible season for Pochettino to figure out how to balance this squad, to figure out how to rotate it properly, to keep all those egos in check, while also giving them some element of defensive solidity. I'm I'm glad I'm not coaching PSG at the moment because that is a, a tall, tall task, and the expectations are so, so high. But as a neutral, man, I am... If you can overlook the massive organizational mismanagement from Barcelona and <laughs> some extremely questionable financial and personal ethics involved here in, in soccer in general, mm. this is incredible content, right? This is just incredible content. I'm sad to see the Messi era end at Barcelona, but watching this PSG team is going to be a whole trip in and of itself, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think Joe is right that they might well be in like a four-two-four at times, but we yeah. should always default to them being in a front three so we can get Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, and make it Eminem. I think yep. like yep. we need our BBC, our MSN. <laughs> oh, we got Eminem uh, for for PSG. I've also really enjoyed uh, to the point about Barcelona, like filing that complaint about their financial irregularities. They're being PSGs. Like the way this story has been covered is is. Most of the articles I've seen have a good few paragraphs about how PSG expect that um, Messi shirt sales will more than pay for themselves, that he will give this added boost to the league and the country as they prepare for Qatar, that they'll be able to kind of have all this merchandising and everything else to kind of balance it out. And they all of that. And then most of the articles I've seen include one line about, but also they can't be punished for financial fair play irregularities for another three years because of their most recent punishment. And there is this sort of grace period. So basically, there's an idea of we're just going to win it in, in these next three years and put all the money into it we can. And then we'll deal with things three years from now, which feels like a very Barcelona solution to the problem. So three years from now, maybe they just move everybody back to Barcelona and they just ping pong back and forth for a while. Taylor, I was not aware of this grace period. It almost feels like, say, this is a this is a, a hypothetical. If you were president and you could do as many crimes as you wanted, right? Because you had, a, you know, <laughs> you weren't going to be prosecuted. That's amazing that that's the case. Yeah, you were prosecuted for jaywalking, so now murder is legal for three years. <laughs> And to Joe, but to Joe's point, like I, this team is going to be incredible. There is all there is that wrinkle of like how exactly does do they fit everybody in and keep everybody happy? Because this summer alone, if they do end up with Messi, then that's Donnarumma, Ramos, Messi, Hakimi, Pereira, Wijnaldum. I know they've said they've they're going to make up to like ten players available for sale. I doubt they're going to get a ton of money once they've publicly listed those players. I don't know how he fits everybody in, but it also sounds like Messi calling Pochettino and saying I would like to play for PSG was the thing that really kicked this into high gear. So I guess Poch is on board and we'll find a way to make it happen. So it's going to be an interesting season in France for sure. Yeah, I guess. Can he do it on a cold Tuesday night in Metz? I suppose is the answer now. (laughs) 
the newly promoted side seems to be I forget Claremont I think it is seems to be the one right. that everybody like points to because of their stadium capacity and how uh, provincial it is in relation to Lionel Messi oh. going there. All those clubs in in France, though, this is a bit of a salvation for them, given yep. the the TV deal oh, crisis man. that they had yep. a few weeks ago, a few months ago, um, and and a lo- on a similar sort of uh, line of thought, I do wonder what ESPN are making of Messi leaving <laughs> La Liga just after they have paid a small fortune. Oh wait, not a small fortune, a large fortune for La Liga TV rights in the US. That's hey, a good point, got- isn't it? Yeah, they'll still be able to get Sergio Aguero starting every single game for Barcelona, so they're fine. <laughs> Not until November, though. He's out for 10 <laughs> oh, weeks with injury. <laughs> yeah, after a late-night partying at Lionel Messi's farewell party, and then he went out for training, and then, uh, according to reports, could not walk. So... Not great times for Barcelona, who, again, still have to offload people to bring in their new players. I am baffled by everything that's happening at that club and everything that will happen in the next couple of weeks. Is it is it too big-headed of me to think that the four of us sitting on this podcast right now could have done a better job <laughs> of of running Barcelona? Not running all the different pieces and parts of it, but at least of figuring out a way to not make this team explode like five years ago? I It boggles my mind at how poorly you have to manage a the, team to have this happen and that's exactly what's happened with Barcelona yeah I mean Bartomeu comes in when does he come in about eight years ago or something like that and at that point Barcelona have the greatest player of all time they're Barcelona they have this is that this is the point I don't get with Barcelona overpaying on wages for players they're so naturally attractive to players that it feels like they would have leverage to, to go the other way to almost underpay players because of the allure of, of, of playing with Messi, of playing at the camp now, of playing for Barcelona. And they had the, the, the best, the best team in Europe at that time. They had Lionel Messi, they had Neymar, they had, you know, Suarez and all these players. And how they've managed to screw that up is, is quite unbelievable. Does the situation not underline how devastating the lack of Super League is for this team and several others? Because surely this whole strategy and this whole going above your wage, uh, wage to revenue ratio is all being reliant on the fact that we won't have to worry about these rules at this point. And they've just been completely caught out. Is that it? They've just put all their eggs in this Super League basket, Graham. Yeah, I think so. And, it, and that's why Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus, who are the three clubs remaining in this this super league enterprise uh, i don't know how a league works with just three teams but anyway that's that's why they're they're still sticking to that plan because they feel um that their survival depends on this sort of plan and that that's another reason why i'm so confused that the super league proposal was it felt rushed through it felt botched um I, I am still of the opinion, I'm not saying I would have supported it, but I'm still of the opinion that had it been done right and had the public relations been a lot stronger, that these clubs could have got a Super League through, that that could have happened. And so it's, given how much these clubs are relying on it, like Barcelona, it's baffling to me that it felt so poorly executed. Indeed. Uh, one more note on this messy situation, Taylor. Do you buy into this narrative about Liga, uh, sorry, La Liga, excuse me, um, not being an attractive proposition anymore. Ronaldo's left, now Messi's left, uh, and and it's going to struggle to have that megastar uh, at its core that's going to attract new viewers. Do you buy into that at all, or is that sort of making too much of it? I mean, they're certainly losing their second like great megastar of this era in Lionel Messi, and so I think there's definitely truth to that, but the reason why Ronaldo left Manchester United is because Real Madrid is Real Madrid, and Barcelona is Barcelona, and these clubs always have downturns, 
uh, downturns in form and then they maybe aren't playing well and they promote an academy uh, like coach and then suddenly they win the Champions League and everything three times in a row. So th- they will have that sort of rebound, I think, as they rediscover their academy and, and sort of like understanding that you can maybe have young players come through who, if you give them a couple seasons, can do the thing that a lot of those big money moves can do. And then maybe fans don't always want those big money acquisitions if it means a lack of productivity and a, and a kind of move away from the things that got you to greatness in the first place. So I think that's probably the case right now. And I think you look at like some of the transfers we're going to talk about as we go. There's not a ton going to La Liga. There are a few coming from La Liga, but I feel like this is maybe a sign that things are going to be a little bit strange in Spain for this year. But then very quickly, I think teams will turn it around, have money to spend. Real Madrid will will do everything they can to bring Kylian Mbappe uh, over to them either this summer or next summer. And I think things will kind of go back to as they were. But maybe we'll have a season or two of Madrid and Barcelona not being at that top, top, top level. Maybe so, maybe so. We're going to take a very quick break. I'm just going to run and have a shower. I'm still getting over Joe calling this transfer great content. Um, (laughs) So I'll I'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. I have washed the stench of Joe's modern soccer statement (laughs) off of me. (laughs) Let's get some more great content laid out here, Joe. Let's talk about Jack Grealish, who has made a £100 million move to Manchester City from Aston Villa. This one slightly confuses me, um, Joe. This is a player who's never played a European game. He's not a striker, which is maybe what Man City could have spent that much money on. Does he? And give me your opinion on whether he actually fits into Man City's system. I was reading Jonathan Wilson saying that City are about this short one-touch passing, and that's not Jack Wilshere. But I know there are Man City players who do that as well. So I'd like your opinion on that and, and your thoughts generally on this Grealish move. Is he going to be a 15 games a year kind of player now? I think I think one touch passing is much more Jack Wilshere's realm than it is Jack Relish's. But <laughs> Ryan, to, to your point, um, I I have Ryan, some are you similar... aware that you said Jack Wilshere and not Jack Relish? I wasn't, but I am now. <laughs> I just, I was, it occurred to me that you had no idea what that joke was about. So. I figured Taylor. I figured he'd just catch it when he listens to this show back later. Um, anyway, I you know what I meant. I did. I did. I did. I think I have similar questions about this move for City. Was it the best use of that money? How does Jack Grealish fit stylistically? And I, I don't know if it's the best use of that money. It seems like they still have money left to go target Harry Kane. So if that's the case and they still do end up with that nine, I don't have a big issue with how those funds are being allotted in this particular instance. Stylistically, I have faith ultimately that Pep is going to be able to find a way to use Jack Grealish properly. At Aston Villa, Jack Grealish was one of the most high usage players 
in Europe's top five leagues, probably in anywhere in the world. He was their attack. And we'll talk more about some of the challenges that Aston Villa will be facing in our Premier League previews uh, later on this week. But he is he's a phenomenal player. We got glimpses of it with England at the Euros. He is a guy who who has a lot of experience being played through and, and the attacks funneling through him. With England, though, we didn't really see attacks wholly move through Jack Grealish. And I would argue that while he didn't play a lot, he was still effective at doing a few different things. And maybe the most important thing is he draws defenders. He really does draw defenders because he's so dangerous on the dribble. He didn't put up a ton of assists last year or create a ton of clear-cut chances, but he oftentimes is the one breaking defenses down so players around him can have extra space and can then create chances for the number nine or for De Bruyne crashing the box or for Riyad Mahrez crashing from the, from the far side on the right of the field. I think Jack Grealish can do a lot of damage in a number of different spaces on the field for City. He's so positionally flexible. I think this is a good move for them. But Ryan, I do have some of the same hesitations that you have kind of floating around in the back of my mind. Yeah, Graham, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, do you see him as a as a Gundogan kind of number eight, or or is he going to be on on one of the flanks and maybe not get much game time? What are you thinking? I listened to Guardiola's press conference before the Community Shield primarily with the the purpose of trying to figure out what he sees Grealish as and I didn't actually get many answers. He he kind of mentioned weirdly mentioned him as a striker at point said said oh he can play as a striker uh, can he? I mean really? I, I guess I guess so. Yeah, that's in his quotes. Look up. He can play as a striker, he can play in the left wing, he can play attacking midfield, he can play deeper midfield and I went okay, at this point I'm getting no answers. <laughs> that's just <laughs> he can he can play on a football pitch. What I would say to that is if there's one manager in world football who can make best use of a positionless player, if you get what I'm saying, it's probably Pep Guardiola. So I do wonder whether Grealish is going to be, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to draw the, the Messi comparison, but a, a lot of times in Guardiola's Barcelona team, Messi was, was very much the, the wild card who was given a little bit more freedom to drift. He wasn't laden with the defensive, um, responsibilities of some of the other players in that team. I do wonder maybe if Grealish is going to be given those that freedom and those responsibility or uh, be freed of those responsibilities for Manchester City. Is that where he's going to fit into this team? And actually, it would maybe be a little bit foolish to try and pin down what his his position is in this side. That's the one thing I'm, I'm looking at this transfer and thinking maybe that's the progression because City have never really had that player with Guardiola. Maybe that's he's going to be that player. But... Yeah, it's, it's an interesting transfer. I don't quite know how he's going to be used. Um, Ryan, I was going to ask you from an English perspective. Um, Grealish and Foden are now at Manchester City. I'm leaning towards Kane potentially being, I mean, I think that will happen between, before the, the window closes. Kane being there as well this season. For England ahead of 2022, that can't, that can't be, uh, harmful to have those three, which is the creative and creative core of, of the national team. It can't be harmful to have them together. At yeah, the same club, Raheem Sterling knocking around as well, of course. So, of course, yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of England talent on that team, and it just it does make me concerned. Will they all get the requisite game time they need? I suppose, which is which comes back to my original point, Taylor. We if we look at the timeline here, we had Jack Grealish having his 100 million pound, Jack Wilshere, sorry, having his 1 million pound deal <laughs> confirmed. Of course, hours later, we hear that Messi is not going to be playing for Barcelona, and. Pep Guardiola kind of alluding to the fact that that would have been nice if we could have done it, but hey, we've signed this other player now. Do you think in a, on a slightly different timeline, things would have been a bit different? Uh, you mean, like, should they have gone for Lionel Messi? 
I think I think it were it were Lionel Messi's news to break a day earlier, mm-hmm. we would have seen Jack Grealish not be a Man City player right now. It would be very interesting because like it's, it's Messi, it's Lionel Messi. He is the best player in the world. I think increasingly, I'm comfortable saying the best player in the world ever. Uh, and and I think like you do probably have to do everything you can to make that happen. That said, they did that last summer and it didn't happen. And I can see why there would have been a hesitation for the financial package that would have been required combined with the fact that every other Premier League club is spending a ton of money. So you do have to kind of spend a lot of money, but spend it well. And I think when it comes to bringing those players into the squad, it basically means if you're bringing in Lionel Messi, that's a player that you want to bring into a plan. And I think had it have been last year, they would have done that. There would have been a build around what do we want to do to put him in the best possible situation, but not put him into an approach or a strategy that doesn't really play to his strengths or requires him to do things that fundamentally we know he's not going to do. And I think Jack Grealish gives you more versatility. And even with that price tag, there is an element of it's Pep Guardiola. You've got to listen to him. You've got to do as he says. When it's Lionel Messi, it's Lionel Messi. And maybe there's an idea that that's harder to wrangle and harder to kind of get a team to play around. That's a thing that Poch will prove prove or not prove. But I think maybe that's the only reason why it, it still might not have happened is that it would have required such a huge change in their acquisitions and their strategy for this season and the seasons beyond that I think – they're probably sad they couldn't have been involved, but also simultaneously the amount of money they would have had to spend maybe ends up costing as much, much as Jack Grealish when it comes to salaries and demands and bonuses and all that good stuff. Yeah, but a slightly bigger name is Lionel Messi. Well, there is probably agree. Well, Messi's might... name is actually smaller than Grealish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, I've run the numbers. You're probably right there. Um, yeah, so what, what, what do we think of Man City's uh, um, uh, title hopes here? Is it, is it a two-horse race between the Manchester teams, Graham? No, no, well, no. I think that their their hopes are obviously strong. <laughs> you know, they've added one of the best players in the league, having strolled to the title last season, haven't really lost anyone at this stage, and they're likely to sign the best striker in the league. So yes, their chances are strong. I don't think it's going to be a two-horse race between the Manchester clubs. I do think... I'm going to stick my neck in the line. I think Manchester United are going to be involved to a stage. I'm not saying they're going to push them the whole way. But I also think Chelsea, if they get, um, we're probably going to talk about this deal a little bit later on, but if they get Lukaku over the line, it might well have actually been done by the time you listen, you listen to this podcast. But if they get Lukaku over the line, I think Chelsea are going to be right up there. And then, of course, Liverpool, who surely can't, well, I've got to say can't uh, suffer the, the injury problems of last season. But I was reading yesterday, I think you might have even tagged me in a tweet, Ryan, that Andy Robertson has uh, just suffered, suffered an injury in a, pre- a preseason game. So... Maybe I shouldn't presume that they, they won't have injury troubles this season, but they've also signed Konate as well, who I think is a, a very good addition. So I, I, I feel like I say this before every Premier League season, um, but this season I really do mean it. I think at the top end of the league, this could be the most competitive title race we've seen for a number of years. I agree with Graham, and I would say that doesn't even necessarily mean that at the end of the season the points are close, because I think you could still see City kind of strolling to a title, but with the talent you do have and just the ridiculous depth for some of these teams, I think there will be a slugfest and that vibe of, like, you never really know, even if City are 12 points ahead and they're playing Chelsea— I don't think we'll have that talk of like, oh, this could make it a title race. But I think there's always going to be an element of they could lose on any given day because there is so much talent, especially in those top three to four positions. So I'm with Graham. I think it's going to be a really fascinating season. 
Still don't know how some of these teams are going to make it work and sort of juggle the depth they have. I do have concerns about Liverpool. I don't think that's my just Man United bias there because, yes, they brought in Konate, but I would argue they brought in Konate because they did not end up bringing in Ozan Kabak on a permanent deal, and I think that's what they expected to do, and then he didn't live up to performance standards, so he is gone. Konate has come in, and so you've replaced one center back with another one, but aside from that, not a ton of acquisitions for a team that sort of showed what happens when you lose one or two key players to injury or a lack of form. So I would be more concerned if I were a Liverpool fan than I would be if I were City or Chelsea, for sure. And how do you feel as a Manchester United fan, Taylor? Because Rafael Varane coming in, uh, the the as that deal was being um, uh, confirmed, I may or may not have placed some money on Manchester United to win the title. I felt really? like... Yeah, I think... Um, you know, so Alex Ferguson said defenses win titles, uh, attacking players win games, and all that, and all that kind of stuff. And I think you've got that back line now. You've got him and Maguire, uh, and you've got Luke Shaw, and you've got um, uh, Wan That's that's a proper good back line there, and, could, and obviously they can do a back three as well. I, I feel pretty confident about this United side and the fact that they could run City pretty close. Are you not feeling quite that confident? I think it comes down to managerial experience and acumen for me. And and here's where I'll make an argument in favor of Man United, which is Ole often gets knocked for managing with vibes and not having a style and not having an approach. And I think that's that's mostly unfair in the sense that they want to be high pressing at times. They want to be counterattacking at other times, but they want to sort of vary that approach and hit teams in different ways with different looks. And I think that that can work if you get everybody on board and kind of buying into the system and there's good chemistry and camaraderie. I think that can go very far. And I think there is an argument that if you get everybody like buying in, in and playing very well and sort of the the chemistry is good, if there is some sort of confusion at Man City about how do we get Harry Kane if he arrives and all these other attacking options into one lineup and make everybody happy and same thing for Chelsea and maybe Liverpool have injuries that's where I think the kind of positivity and the vibes with a Z uh, could benefit Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but if it is then this very tight back and forth race where where some people are dropping points not a ton of points but enough that it's somewhat close I still think that comes down to experience and ability on the fly and I don't think those are Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's strengths I think that definitely is Guardiola I think that's Klopp I think that's Tuchel at this point maybe we see Chelsea regress I don't know but I think if it comes down to which manager is going to figure something out on the fly in the 58th minute that leads to a result I would back other managers before I would back Ole. Joe did I throw my money down the toilet in backing United? I mean, as long as it was a small amount of money, I don't think so. I mean, I just I wouldn't be super confident placing a large wager on any of these title contenders right now. It's it's Man United, it's Manchester City, it's Chelsea, it's Liverpool. Those teams are all contending for the title in my mind. City probably have the edge right now, but man, I would not be surprised if any of those four teams came out on top. All right, Ryan, I've got another positive for you, though, because Marcus Rashford is having the surgery, won't be back to start the season. But when Rashford comes back in, it stands to reason that he is playing as maybe that left-sided attacker, Jaden Sancho on the right, Edinson Cavani up top, Anthony Martial spelling one of the three of them on various occasions, Bruno with a little bit of rest as the number 10, and suddenly you have a front four that is is pretty set. And I think sometimes having those, you know who your four attackers are going to be week in and week out and who is going to lead the line and how they want to play and what they're going to do in any given moment. 
that familiarity breeds confidence. And it also, when you don't have an obvious area of deficiency, it's just fewer what ifs and what abouts and what happens when. And I think the fewer negative distractions you have, certainly the better. But I think it also means that when Mason Greenwood overhits a cross, there, there's immediately that feeling amongst the fan base and I think the media as well of like, ah, he's not quite good enough. He's not really an out-and-out winger. That's still going to be an issue. And if Jaden Sancho overhits a cross, it's just maybe you'll get a like, how much? But for the most part, it will <laughs> just be nothing. There will be no talking points. And I think the fewer negative talking points you have around a team, certainly the better. I'm taking from that that I was right to remortgage my house for this <laughs> bet then. Thank you very much, Taylor. I appreciate that. Um, Graham, you mentioned Romelu Lukaku. Why don't we have a chat about him uh, and his situation and maybe Inter Milan's crazy situation too? <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who who doesn't know and, and maybe hasn't been reading the, the football news this, this week, Lukaku, it seems like he's on the brink of returning to Chelsea for what seems like the 20th time in his career. <laughs> um, I think he's having a medical today in Italy ahead of a move. I, I saw a picture before we started recording of him holding a Chelsea shirt in the back of a car, so... Uh, Unless he has, uh, we'll his unless one. he's, yeah, unless he's just dropped by Dick Sporting Goods for, uh, you know, a, a quick spree, I think he's on his way there. But there's a lot of people saying now that he's a, a different player than he was two years ago when he left the Premier League. And I'm not entirely sure how true that, that is. I think he is this, the same player. I think he just found a manager and a club who played to his strengths, the manager being Antonio Conte and the club being Inter, that played to his strengths and recognised what sort of, of, of player he is. And so if Tuchel follows Conte's lead, I think Lukaku will be frightening for Chelsea. And I think there's a good chance that he will do that. You look at the way Chelsea played last season when Tuchel came in, um, very much a, a team that were that were lightning on, on the counter-attack. I think once you add Lukaku in there, who at Inter, and for Belgium as well, I should say, he's he's long been this sort of player. Roberto Martin, uh, Mar- Martinez, sorry, I almost there did it, it again there. <laughs> it's ingrained in me through British press That's coverage. Fair. That's fair. Uh, Martinez. He, he actually was one of the, the first to recognize what sort of striker Lukaku was. And that's why his, his scoring record for Belgium has, has been so good for a number of years. But if, if, if Tuchel follows uh, Conte's lead and plays him in a similar way where he's allowed to turn and run at goal and carry the ball and link up with players moving forward rather than being a static front man, which Jose Mourinho, who seemed to be a massive fan of Lukaku, but never really grasped how to, how to use him both at Chelsea and Manchester United. If Lukaku's that player for Chelsea, I think he's the final piece of the puzzle for that team. You could maybe argue they could do with another centre-back, but generally speaking, I think he's the final piece of the puzzle for a team that that won the Champions League uh, two months ago. So, yeah, I also think tactically he opens up a number of possibilities. Does Tuchel use Werner in the Lataro Martinez role alongside Lukaku and use a front two? Um, Lukaku, as we know, is capable of playing off off the right side. I think that front that front line for Chelsea could be... Uh, really fluid and I like that signing more for Chelsea because it, f- it addresses a clear deficiency in that squad I like it more for Chelsea than I like Grealish for City where where I look at and I think I'm not entirely sure what hole he's filling for City I, th- I think that is arguably the best signing of the of the summer so far if it goes through which it looks like it will I, um, can I yeah, totally I, have, I have a random idea that has just occurred to me from some of these conversations, and I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on it. Is there an argument that teams are sort of 
panicking in response to the season that just happened because we had so many injuries, so many games played in such a tight schedule, and maybe not enough resources or not enough players in the various squads to make that happen, that it almost seems like we have some clubs that are just going out and being like, well, it's going to continue to be this way for forever, so we need Romelu Lukaku to be added to a team that already features Tammy Abraham for now, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, uh, Hakim Zayek, uh, Mason Mount and Callum Hudson Odoi still. Like, there's so much talent there for three to four positions, if we're being generous, that I almost wonder if this is teams overspending in case they get injuries. And there are always threats of injuries, so I'm not trying to diminish that. But it just seems like so many clubs are spending insane amounts of money to give them depth as though we're going to have another sort of compact schedule the way we did last season. So that's my like half baked idea. I turn it over to you all to tear apart. Um, I think. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. You're good. No, I was just going to say, uh, you should asterisk it with English teams overspending, which is... uh, (laughs) Plus PSG. Plus PSG. Which is a pattern. Oh, plus PSG. Go go ahead, Joe. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about PSG as an example. Taylor, I think this stuff's been happening for years. I think this has been happening pre-COVID, right? You think about... PSG in in Monaco, right? And PSG have this really strong squad already. And what do they do? They go out and spend 200 million whatevers on Mbappe. And and these what? giant teams are always wanting to to go out and he get was the on best loan, players. Joe. He yeah, was on yeah, loan. Yeah, sure. Loan option to buy. That, that phrase is giving me nightmares at this point. I don't want to ever hear that phrase again. Um, but I mean, teams have always been doing this. Real Madrid, the Galacticos, right? There's, yeah. there's the idea that the rich get richer. And that's true in every sport, but in soccer, I think it's especially feasible in a lot of situations. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily related to a lot of the injury problems that teams like Liverpool had last season. I could be totally wrong, though. Joe, what do you yeah. think about where Lukaku would fit in with that Chelsea lineup? With Graham mentioning oh. uh, potentially uh, Timo Werner doing the Lautaro Martinez thing, and uh, I guess <laughs> Tammy Abraham is a, is is going bye bye at this stage. Yeah. I think he's linked to Roma, he's linked to Arsenal, linked to all the all the usual suspects. D- does it work? Does T- does Timo have to say Alf Bidasein at this point? Oh no, 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 not at all. I think I, I think if you're Chelsea and you have a chance to sign a top five number nine in the world, you you do it. Right. Lukaku is so, so, so good. I think he, you, you go out and sign him no matter what, pretty much. And the fact that Chelsea are able to grab him, I agree with Graham, is a great move. I don't think Timo Werner needs to go. Tammy, be free, Tammy. I, I think it's time for him to actually go someplace where he's going to play. Every year it feels like this is the year of Tammy Abraham and it never is. So, uh, let's, let's move on if you're Tammy Abraham. But for Chelsea, Play a play a three five two if you need to. Play a three four three. You don't need to massively change the structure. Tuchel's not going to change his way of playing. They're going to have the same principles of play. We saw them be flexible though in the positioning within those principles even last season after Tuchel took over. We did see a three five two last season with Mason Mount playing as a central midfielder and a midfield three, and Timo Werner up up front with another striker. So that's not a, a look that Tuchel's unwilling to go to. I think we'll absolutely see that sometimes this season with Lukaku and maybe Kai Havertz or, or Timo Werner up top together, or we're going to see, and I expect we're going to see a lot of that 3-4-3 as well. This is, Lukaku's so good. Chelsea's just got a lot better when they actually get this deal over the line. It feels like he is the silver medal to Erling Haaland, though, in some ways, Graham. Is that not the case? And uh, are we are we at the stage where Gio Reyna is going to have to brace himself for those terrifying celebrations this season? <laughs> yeah, for the for the bear hugs, there's a few more of, of those coming. Um, it does a little bit. I, I never really felt it was realistic that Chelsea were going to get Haaland this, this summer. I never felt it was realistic that anyone was going to get Haaland this summer. And 
to be honest, the way I don't want to, um, you know, a year out from a potential deal, I don't want to get Taylor too excited. But does anyone else feel like with Haaland, it's it's kind of things are falling into place for United to be the only real real option? I mean, City are going to get Kane, Chelsea are going to get Lukaku, Barcelona, well, Barcelona, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Manchester United are, seem to be still interested. Cavani's going to be at the end of his contract. They have lots of money and a position to fill next summer that's where if I were to do a Ryan Bailey and uh, put my money on something that I shouldn't put my money on <laughs> it would be <laughs> Howland to Manchester United next summer there's, oh, let's, there's... let's not that let that be the term for it in future please. <laughs> there's two wrinkles there for you Graham the first would be that if Mbappe did go to Real Madrid, I could see yeah. PSG wanting to then lure Holland over to show, because it is all about like keeping up with the Joneses and never letting anybody look superior to you. So I could see them doing that. Then the other one that quietly made the rounds, I think, over the last like week and then sort of disappeared, which to me means there is definitely smoke there, is Bayern Munich. That Bayern Munich, I feel like, are going to do a sneaky one and try to make something happen and get him over there. And then uh, the world will continue as normal with Bayern Munich winning another like 15 straight titles. <sighs> More regression to the mean, Taylor, as we mentioned earlier in the show. We're going to take a very quick break. Back with more transfer chat shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking transfers, baby. Let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur. Yay, let's do that. They've signed a few. They've signed Christian Romero from Atalanta. Apparently a 55 million euro loan with option to buy deal. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, Atalanta signing him, by the way, on a full-term contract. Uh, they, they had an option to buy him for 16 million. Sold him to Spurs the same day. Tidy little profit, Graham, for Atalanta there. And a very good player for Tottenham, Serie A Defender of the Year last year, part of the Argentina's Copa America side. This is a, a very good signing, a big centre-back signing for Spurs, is it not? Yeah, I like this signing a lot for Tottenham Hotspur. It seemed, when when Nuno came into Tottenham Hotspur, it was an interesting appointment because, well, he doesn't he doesn't really align much, for me anyway, he, he wasn't the manager I thought Tottenham were going to go for. He doesn't really align much with what Daniel Levy talked about the, the Spurs way or the Spurs values or whatever he, whatever he, uh, he said there in that statement. And one, he's going to change the system, it seems. And one of the features of that system is going to be a, a back three, like he used at, at Wolves. And that was a, that was a problem for Spurs, especially after, uh, Alderweireld left for Qatar, I think, which happened maybe last week or the week before. Spurs are not, were not awash with great defensive options. There are, Concerns over Damson Sanchez and, and Eric Dyer in that position. Joe Roden has played well there, but it's still a, a developing player. So they really needed to go out and get a, a, a commanding, dominating central defender. And, and they've got one in Romero. He's the, he's the perfect Nuno center back in that he's strong physically, but he's also very good at playing the ball out from the back. 
and he's going. I would I would anticipate that he's going to play the Connor Cody role for for Tottenham this season. Connor Cody so important to Wolves. Wolves were, what they would do quite often would be bypass the central center midfield, play long balls or long passes into the the wide forwards. And last season, Romero averaged two point three long long passes per game for Atalanta, which was the the highest number for of any Atalanta player, which is pretty close to Cody's numbers for for Wolves. So I I think he has been identified as a a bedrock of this Spurs team. I think Nuno's going to to build his team on top of him, and I think it was really important that they got a player like him. So more of a, a Cody than a Willy Bolly. Less less fouls, maybe. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, no. Romero is I know you're I know you're kidding, Ryan. Romero's kind of crazy in how he plays, and he will rack up yellow cards, he will rack up red cards, and it, so it, it makes Bully. him incredibly entertaining to watch, mm-hmm. but it might be a hybrid between those two. Okay. Okay. Taylor, your <laughs> thoughts on this move? I'm pretty excited about it. I have to be honest. I, I was not as as up on this one until Graham started talking, and now I'm 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 all on board. Graham, does that mean that you think? And I know it's like tough to say because I don't know who's doing the Wolves preview when we move to our Premier League previews this week. Uh, but I'm wondering, do you think that means that we'll see pretty much the same approach that we saw with Wolves at Spurs under Nuno? Do you think he'll try to change it up at all, or do you think it'll be basically the same, but with ideally stronger players in better positions? That I've I've watched them um, Spurs against who did oh they played Arsenal of course they did in a preseason game um at the weekend there I, I watched them with with the purpose of trying to figure figure out the answer to that question Taylor I think there was a lot that carried over so I think one of the things Nuno wants to do is he wants to play a a front two as well I don't think he against Arsenal it didn't seem like they were pushing the the wing backs as high as as maybe he did for for Wolves which is slightly surprising for me because Spurs actually have those players to do that of course uh, Doherty was at Wolves under under Nuno and is now at Spurs and then Reguilón on the left side is capable of playing that way but yes I think a number of the ideas from Wolves will carry over one of those being the back three and the other one being I think the idea is to play Two up front, which um, you read the news about Spurs making an offer for Martinez, Latero Martinez, over the weekend. I'm not sure if that was accepted or if that's happening or not, but it's actually, it seems like that's maybe not a replacement for Harry Kane. That's actually someone to play alongside him and maybe to persuade him to stay at the club so that they can play those two up front. So I think, yeah, there will be um, some similarities. Hmm. Interesting stuff happening at Tottenham. They're making some moves here, are they not? Anyone, uh, t- Taylor, any other moves that have caught your fancy in this transfer window? Yeah, sort of everything Marseille is doing. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Conrad De La Fuente, the American yeah, baby. Uh, bias for <laughs> sure. But last season, I'll try to do this quickly. Last season, Marseille, 60 points. Uh, we're good enough for fifth in the league. Only uh, four more than when they stopped the season with 10 games left the season before that. So not a good season. Uh, they were far behind the other top five teams in terms of goals scored. They conceded the most of any of the top six in France. So they basically needed more goals and they needed fewer goals against. And what they did was keep their core group and went out and added a lot of, if not like top tier quality, depth and talent, enough that I think they will be a much stronger team. They have Matteo Ganduzzi, not the best place to start, but they brought in Matteo Ganduzzi and <laughs> William Saliba on loan from Arsenal, Paul Lopez and Jengi Zundere from Roma on loan, two promising teenagers for freeze, but then 19-year-old Conrad De La Fuente uh, from the Barcelona Academy, he has started very well, 24-year-old Brazilian central midfielder Gerson from Flamengo, strengthened their defense with Luan Perez from Santos and Leonardo Balerdi from Dortmund, that was he had been there on loan that was made permanent and so all of those names started in their opening game of the season seven of their 11 starters in the first game were new signings 
They get the win. It's a 3-2 win on the road at Montpellier. And that includes uh, a goal from Jengliz Undere, newly arrived, assisted by Conrad De La Fuente, newly arrived. But then you mm. still have the kind of old, reliable performers like Dimitri Payet, who gets a brace to get the win. And I think Marseille under Jorge Sampaoli are playing exciting soccer, have a lot of fresh faces and young faces at that. I think the oldest uh, player I mentioned in there was like 26. Most of them 24 or 22 or under. So young players under Jorge Sampaoli, a motivated Sampaoli, a motivated team, and I think an exciting season to come for uh, for Marseille. That's a really exciting team. Uh, they've had made some good moves. And I, I rely on you for our Turkish pronunciations there, Taylor. Was it Cengiz uh, Unde? Is that how you said it? It is indeed. Very nice. Thank you very much for that. Joe, what do you make of this Marseille team? Um, how how far behind PSG are they going to finish? Uh, probably pretty far, yep. right? But that's, a, <laughs> that's not an indictment uh, 50 on 50 points. <laughs> no yeah, bad. Yeah. But I, I agree with Taylor. I think this is a fun team. I really like Under. I, I like Conrad De La Fuente. Although I am very curious. I tweeted this out, something to this effect, yesterday. I'm just interested to see how he'll develop. There are deficiencies in his game. He's He's been very reliant on being a five-star skiller in FIFA and less so on consistent delivery into the box and defensive work. I want to see if that improves under Sam Pauli, because if it does, he can be a reliable and effective wing back on that side. We've talked about that on this show before. He could play higher. I'm really excited to see him. I just, I'm interested to see this team and how they set up and how consistent they can be in Liga, because clearly they, they brought in some good players. I, I, I might have said this already. I really like Undere. I, I just like some of the moves they've made, and I, I think, Taylor, you were wise to highlight them. And Jengi's Undere, thank you for that. Jengi's Undere, by the way, started at right wing back. Conrad De La Fuente at left wing back. They were in very much a 3-2-4-1 in that game. So maybe that's a sign of how attacking they're going to be. But I love the idea of Undere and Conrad De La Fuente being your defensive rocks at the back this season. Can't I can't wait for Conrad to defend against Messi on the left wing for Marseille, right wing for PSG. Oh. That's going to go really, really well. Sarcasm, <laughs> to be clear. Sarcasm. <laughs> well, um, you, you're laughing if you're the broadcaster who broadcasts Liga, I suppose, yeah. with, uh, with this team and with Messi. Uh, who's that again? Never mind. Anyway, um, Graham, any other moves you wanted to bring to the table before we head off into the sunset? Just a, a quick mention, I think, for Aston Villa. I think we have to mention Ooh. some of the, the moves that they've done. Mr. They, Bailey? They, <laughs> they they got a quick start on uh, spending some of that Grealish that Grealish cash. Um, Danny Ings coming out of nowhere to sign for Aston Villa. There's nothing better in a transfer window than a, than a club that announces a a transfer out of the blue with no rumor at all. And Villa managed it with with Danny Ings. Graham, did I see not- twenty five million or was that a misprint? For I actually have. I actually haven't seen a, a fee for that move. Um, my research let me down there. Is that is that what th- that fee is? That's Transfer- the number I saw, and it made my eyes bulge a little bit. Transfermarkt uh, only has it in dollars, but they have it at thirty eight million dollars. There you go. That, wow. that seems quite a lot. Yeah, uh, it does for a player who has who, he has a year left in his contract, doesn't he? And had been very open about wanting to to leave Southampton. That's the one thing that confuses me about this transfer is that. All the reports were that the Ings wanted one last crack at a, a big six club at playing in the Champions League in his career. Obviously, he's he's um, you know closer to to thirty, um, or is he actually thirty? Anyway, he's up there, 29. and he wants he's twenty nine, right? So he he wants he wants one last crack at the kind of the big time in the Premier League. Obviously, it didn't work out that well from at Liverpool. So 
Villa are, are an ambitious team and they've got a good team and they may well be in top six contention, but it's not it's not the transfer that I thought he wanted. So that was a bit of a surprising one. Nonetheless, he'll he'll be interesting for Villa, see how he fits into that team. Will he be playing instead of Ollie Watkins or alongside Ollie Watkins or will he be on the bench? I'm not entirely sure. But the other one that catches my eye is uh, Liam Bailey uh, going from uh, Leverkusen to, to Aston Villa. A player who's been spoken about a lot in terms of his potential for a number of years. The Bundesliga, just out of pure scheduling, is the league that I probably watch. Out of the big five, is the league that I probably watch the least of. So whenever I have caught him, I, I'm a massive fan of him as a player. So I'm excited to see more of him in in the Premier League. Uh, nine goals and eight assists in 30 Bundesliga games last season. Very good return for a player in his position. And... um Given that he averaged 2.5 take-ons last season per game, that is his strength. I, I do wonder if he's the Grealish posi- uh, replacement, but while those two players produce similar outcomes in the way that they burst the byline uh, quite often, they, they are very different players. So I'm interested to see how he changes that Villa team. So we've got Emilio Buendia coming in, we've got Ashley Young coming in, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey, as he mentioned. Aston Villa are going for it, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And that's that's the that's the thing out of this this Grealish transfer is for me, and I'm wary of making this statement because I think I might have said similar after Spurs sold Gareth Bale, <laughs> and it didn't work out this way. But I feel like maybe they they might be a better team given that they've invested a lot of that that money, and it seems like they're still making moves. They were going for Ward Prowse, remember, and they went yeah. for Smith Rowe from Arsenal when that was when that contract situation was still up there. So yeah. They're, they're, they are definitely going for they it. They brought in uh, Axel Tuanzibi, the center back for Man United today on loan. Not like the highest impact signing, but still just another high quality player to be brought in and brought into that squad. And yeah, I think they will have a strong season. Watch out, Premier League. Aston Villa are back. Woo-hoo. All right. I think that just about rounds up our transfer talk for today, gentlemen. Uh, as Taylor inferred, they were going to be doing some Premier League previews this week. We're going to be covering all 20 teams, including Aston Villa, of course the uh, sexiest team in the Premier League. Uh, Taylor, for now, thank you very much for your contribs today. Right back at you, buddy. Joseph Lowry, thank you for the great content. <laughs> you got it, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and Graham Rothman, just give Ted Lasso another go. Go on. Again. <laughs> no, no, I've given up on it. <laughs> Sorry. The thing is, I've watched the whole lot up until now. I'm totally up to date. I just only decided, eh, it's maybe not for me. But you're for me, Ryan, so take that as consolation. Aww, that's nice. Bye!